well, welcome everybody to uh, Drifting on Memories uh, podcast show again. And here we are, uh, Raul, back with you, um, doing a really important interview this time around. And uh, before I kind of, before I get started, I really wanted to uh, send out a, you know, acknowledgement to my good friend, Hugo, and his wife, Blanca, over here from uh, from uh, Los Angeles, and they're over in the Ontario area, and so I really want to thank them for making this uh, this connection right here. So, um, you know, I, I I really want to get into this because I think we have a lot to cover, and so I'd love to. Uh, I'm I'm really uh, you know uh, honored that you're on here, and uh, I'd like to introduce to you Roberto Rodriguez, uh, also known Doctor Sintle. And uh, Dr. Sintle, if you don't know, is a longtime activist, a longtime professor over at uh, Arizona State University and, um, you know, have written, you know, has written for Lowrider magazines. You know, he's got stories of early, early Whittier Boulevard uh, cruising, uh, car clubs, the car scene. Uh, He's written, you know, he's written, you know, some really important books in our culture um one uh probably for me most notably is um, our sacred maize is our mother um indigenity and belonging in the americas um so yeah that that's 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 super important for me uh the latest one a yolki a warrior summoned from the spirit world um it, it came out in uh, 2019 so Thank you so much, Dr. Sintle. I think uh, my first question to you is, uh, why Sintle? Well, even before that, I'm a professor at the University I mean, of Arizona. Yeah. You said ASU. <laughs> That's like USC and UCLA. <laughs> oh, got you, got you. Yeah, the no, University of Arizona. Yeah. And, uh, and Dr. Sintle is the name I was given by an elder mm-hmm. when I went for my PhD. You know, my wife and I were writers our pretty much our whole lives, but we decided to go back and get a master's and a PhD. And when I got the and, and the PhD had to do with uh, the history of maíz on this continent. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't know because it's not taught in schools mm-hmm. that the whole history of this continent is written in maíz. The whole everything comes from maíz, and that's over seven thousand years old. So when I finished the PhD and they you know, shook my hand and told me Dr. Rodriguez. I told him actually it's Dr. Sintley from now on because my maestra, she uh, she gave, gave me that name, Dr. Mm-hmm. Sintley, which means maíz, yeah. corn. Yeah. You know, like from some of the kids, you know, I was just at a house right now. They call me, hey, corn guy's here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, it's, uh, so it's maíz. Yeah. I, I'm happy that you do that. I'm happy that you acknowledge our our um, indigenous languages, uh, Nahuatl being one, I I uh, I teach my my children the same thing about maíz and Teosinkli, you know yeah. the sacred the sacred maíz and how we are of maíz and I have an elder who's passed on Tatakwashli and and he would teach them those songs of sacred maíz and Teosinkli, and he would sing those songs in Nahuatl um, and they translated that our skin is maíz. You know that he, he's in my book, the okay. Maíz book. Okay, good. Yeah, he's a, he wrote one of the, s- the stories in there, yeah. Yeah, good. I, I spent a lot of time with Tata Kwashli, and I remember him. 
Uh, he's been, he, you know, he's passed on a spirit world uh, a few years now, maybe over, maybe over, wow, maybe over eight, nine years now. But um, so we yeah. still, we still hold him in prayer here. Dr. Sintle, I want to, I want to, um, I want the listeners to hear all the great stories that I was, I was privileged to hear about the early days of Whittier Boulevard, East LA and the cruising scene. And you said, you told me, well, I'll go back even further to the 60s Whittier Boulevard. What, what, um, what were you, <laughs> what were you doing out there in the 60s on Whittier Boulevard? And how, how did, how did that come about? Well, it, actually, it was 1960, to be precise, you know, 1960. I was five years old. Uh, we were living in Tijuana. And we were actually from southern Mexico, but my, my dad took us to Tijuana for about a year, year and a half, waiting to cross. And when we were able to, uh, he had found a little shack in East L.A. on Whittier Boulevard. And so that's what my memories are from day one, Whittier Boulevard. And... In 1960, to my knowledge, the cruising was happening already at that time because there's certain memories that I don't forget. One of them is the inability to sleep. <laughs> that is, it was loud out there, you know? Wow. And and so the cruising, well, you know, officially in the old days, it was like from Long Beach Freeway to Atlantic. Mm-hmm. But nobody ever stopped right there because, you know, either people went home or you know, had to, or went to go get a hamburger or, you know, a burrito or whatever, and then they would come back. So part of, uh, you know, the part of East LA that I grew up in, it was close to Montebello. Mm-hmm. It was not in Montebello, but close, right? Yeah. So so the, the, the cruising would continue on Atlantic, past Atlantic, and I'm sure people even went to, like, uh, Montebello and Whittier, perhaps, or Pico Rivera, you know, for different things. And anyway, so that's what I remember. I remember it was just really loud, and the, we used to live uh, next to a restaurant. And I think a lot of the cruisers they would come, they would go to that little restaurant and make a lot of noise in the parking lot, you know. But you <laughs> said you say that you lived on Whittier Boulevard. I know the streets, like you know, like yeah. Arizona, Federley, all those yeah. streets. They they it's mainly um, businesses yeah. now. Exactly. So what do you mean you lived on Whittier Boulevard? <laughs> Well, I don't know how our house got there, but it did. <laughs> uh, you know, when like I said, when you go past Atlantic, you go past Kmart, and you get to a street called Saybrook. And in between Saybrook and Hay, there was two little houses, one on Whittier and one in the alley. Okay. Ours was, ours was in the alley, wow. but our address was Whittier Boulevard. Wow. And I think I remember seeing, like, one other house maybe, you know, like further like in Boyle Heights or something, you know, like out that way. Yeah. But you're right. It was all businesses. And, uh, again, I never understood how we ended up on Whittier, wow. but we did. And so uh, even if I wasn't conscious of what was going on or who was out there, I just know there was a lot of cars out there, you know, at night, you know? Right. You must've been <laughs> super, super young, super small, right? Yeah. So I, I remember again, cars all hours of the night, you know? Wow. Now, as I grew older, you know, then of course I found out about cruising, low riding, and all that. Uh, and I, I mentioned that when I was growing up, we never really—at least I did it. My brothers did, but not me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we used to party off of uh, off of Whittier Boulevard. You know, okay. it's kind of like we had a parking lot, you know, in the middle of the street. Um, uh, and, that, and I was talking about Saybrook. Yeah, uh, that, that was one place. We had another place too on the uh, on the other side of Whittier. 
But basically, you know, that was where we party, you know, we'd buy the six packs or whatever cases down the street at the little liquor store and yeah. just hang out there. People would come from everywhere just to hang out and party. What now, years what years was that? Like when you were partying now? Because now you're now you're a little bit older. You you said your brother's cruising, right. he's got a car and no, you that guys would have been the late six the late sixties. Wow. Uh, and then later in the early seventies. So it was kinda like in that era, like six late sixties, early seventies. Wow. You know. So again, yeah, I never went cruising. I, I just one time my brother said, Let's go and jumped in the car and Ended up in a parking lot on Whittier Boulevard with all the cruising. Yeah. Now my neighbors, you know, I I used to live, uh, and again, those of those from the east side know the area I'm talking about: Saybrook, Hay, Mobile. On Mobile, there used to be a car club there called uh, Orpheus. Yeah. You know, and most people didn't think they were a car club; they just thought they were a gang. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, that's talking about way way back. You know. Yeah. I think later on they they probably did cars and all that, but for the most part. They, people thought they were pretty rowdy, you know. But why? And I remember. Go well, ahead. I remember walking by when I go to school. I passed their parking lot, and other car clubs would come or gangs. I don't know. And they were right you now. They'd be pulling out bumper jacks and yeah. stuff, you know. Like we're just gonna go talk. <laughs> <laughs> so and, uh, yeah. So it was kind of mean in those days, huh? When you were there with your brothers cruising and kind of partying around there. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the east side is the east side, you know, it's, it's not Beverly Hills. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just wasn't part of that crowd, you know. Again, like I said, my brothers were. So when I joined Lowrider, like, in the mid-70s, it was kind of odd, you know, kind of like it probably should have been my brothers that were, you know. Oh, I see, the I see. Uh -huh. Instead of me. And how did you get approached? And, and was that through Sunny, through Sunny Madrid? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, see, my, my history was different because uh, all the political stuff was going on at the time, you know, mm -hmm. and I got really attracted to that. Mm. And for some reason, I knew I wasn't going to be into cars, you know, Yeah. because uh, that's a whole job, you know, it's like yeah. it's a lifestyle and it's a job. And in my mind, I'm like, well, no, we're busy taking on the schools and, you know, they had killed that journalist, Ruben Salazar. And so I was pissed off about stuff like that, you know. Uh -huh, the Chicano so moratorium. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all that all the Chicano movement. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of thought like, well, you know, cruising is like for my brothers. Me, I'm more for the moratorium stuff like you that. You were doing know? more. You were doing more activist work and community work. Yeah, and and then you know, but but it was also partying. But again, partying was what I told you. We would park, we would park, uh, or rather, on on uh, on the street. Yeah. Uh, on the side street, mm -hmm. and. People would come from everywhere. So if people came cruising, they would, I mean, if I guess they go other places, but they, that was one place where they came. So people were always coming. I, I flipped my, my thing oh, here. That's okay. Um, yeah, no, so people would come by and just party you yeah. know, from all over the place. So um, you, even though, then, even though you were writing and even though you were at UCLA, I think? Yeah, that's after high school. Okay. I, I did go to UCLA, yeah. So even though you were doing that, you still had a connection to the neighborhood, to the boulevard, to the low riding. Yeah, well, it's because my parents still live there, you know? Got you, and, got you. Uh, so I would come home all the time. Then how about the and, riding um, then? Well, the riding... For low rider, no, how I did... Think, yeah, well, I think after I graduated from UCLA, um, I, I don't remember where I ran into Sonny, but... Uh, and again, I knew, because I wrote for a newspaper at UCLA, it was called La Gente, 
In fact, it was called La Gente de Aslan. That's right. And when we did that, we used to distribute that newspaper everywhere, you know? So that was way before Lowrider Magazine. So I pretty much knew the streets. I knew, you know, I knew the Southern California. Yeah. You know? And so when he came by, you know, he wanted me, I think he came to La Gente, the newspaper perhaps, because my girlfriend was the editor at the time. Okay. And he wanted me to help him. And I told him that I, I was a teacher. And that I really couldn't teach. I mean, I couldn't really help him okay. right then. Yeah. And what happened is, uh, I would still get. He would still send me the magazine. Nice. And I remember when I would teach, I would bring the magazine. I would bring La Gente, and I would bring the magazine. <laughs> and I and I and I noticed I noticed the kids would devour the magazine. That's right. They, like they liked La Gente, but for some reason, Bill Ryder spoke to them more. You know. And based on that, I remember the year went by. What year is this, Doctor Seedley? That was probably seventy-seven. Okay. Yeah. So the I know the magazine started in seventy-seven. Uh huh. Yes, yeah, so it was at the beginning, but I, and like I said, I couldn't really be part of the magazine, but I did use it in my classroom. And by the end of the the, the year, there was a proposition. It was called Proposition Thirteen, and it was a property tax thing, and it was kind of like for the rich people. And so when they passed that. That like all oh, the money got taken away from almost everything, including summer school. Uh, I was going to teach summer school. In, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Chicano studies class I was going to teach at, uh, in Whittier, I think. Anyway, so I called up Sonny and I said, "Hey, guess what? I'm not teaching this summer after all." <laughs> I said, "I got some time to help you." Yeah, I said, "I'll give you a hand." Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I went out there. And I thought I knew Southern California, but I, through Lowrider, I got to know it even more so because, you know, there, there's the Inland Empire, there's Orange County, right, there's the right. Front of the Valley, there's the South Bay, right. You know, there, and they South all kind of have their, they all kind of have their Lowrider community. Huntington Park, yeah, right. Uh, Van Nuys, San, San Fernando, they all had yeah. their own cruising boulevards, you know, right, 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 right. But like they say, if they say that Whittier Boulevard was the biggie, you know, mm-hmm. but. But the, all the other other places did have their own boulevards. You know? So, Doctor Sintle, um, I feel like when I look at those old magazines and when you know when Lowrider first came out in seventy seven, seventy eight, seventy nine, there was a big portion of it that was like a Rasa report kind of talking about activism, talking about protest, talking about um, human rights. Um, do you think that that's, that's kind of what you contributed to what, and what years were you at Lowrider writing? Yeah. Well, I was the editor of that, of that section. Um, and I think we called it Lowrider times. I think that's what yeah. I, either that or, yeah. or Rasa, the Rasa report, one of the yeah. two, or maybe both. <laughs> yeah, <know>? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, like I said, I had that other consciousness because that's where I grew up. That's where I live. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, things were happening. So I would do what I could to See, report me, it. My, my, my motivation really was, as you know, cars are expensive, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of the youngsters, like in the Zutsu days, I remember I would interview the, the old Zutsuters and they would say, we didn't have cars. The only thing we had was our clothes. And so that's why we put a lot of emphasis on our clothes. Yeah. You know, he said the, they called them fingertips, you know, the Takuche, the yeah. Zutsu. It says the shoes. I mean, everything went there, you know? We yeah. didn't have money for cars. For a car. And so, so for me, uh, you know, probably 90% of the people cruising were not car clubs. You know, it was yeah. youngsters, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so 10% perhaps were the car clubs. Were the actual were, car, the people with were cars. The nice, 
yeah. with nice cars, right? Right. But most most of the people just they put stuff in the back in the back of the truck <laughs> to lower their car, right? Yeah, they stuffed a couple people in there. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. So in other words, it, it wasn't like all car club. It wasn't like a car show. Okay. It what? A, it was a. It was a the the old school dating the dating game. It was the old school dating app. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, it was uh, Whittier Boulevard was just like the social scene, right? It was the place to I, be. Yeah, and I used to call it like the Chicano Disneyland, man. It was like, but except you didn't have to pay any money, you know? Except for, <laughs> except for the, you know, if you got a six-pack or, you know, and you're gassed. And, you know, people would come from everywhere. So you would see carloads of like six people, you know, yeah. even more coming from like, so, you know, who knows where, but far away. Yeah, because that, that was like a big thing, you know, to come to the boulevard. Would you say and that so, that was like the peak of the boulevard in those years, 79, 77, 79? Oh, yeah, I, I would think, uh, but, you know, not not by choice. But when I was almost killed by the cops in 79, that led to the closure of the boulevard. Mm, you know? Yeah, they they, okay. they arrested over 538 people that, that weekend. I know, I, I know you know let's, about it. Let's talk, about let's talk about that. that. Yeah, let's talk about that. That was March of 1979. You were out there photographing on Whittier Boulevard in East L.A., photographing for the magazine, Lowrider yeah. Magazine. Uh, and, and, and I'm kind of just, you know, uh, paraphrasing because I've only, read about, I've only read about it. But you were out there. You were photographing the uh, – and there was a significance to that night. So I want, I want you to talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, that was the the opening night of Boulevard Nights, uh, and the opening night was on down the street at the Garmar Theater in Montebello, which is about two miles away from where the where the arch is today on Whittier. That's between Arizona and McDonald. I used to always park my car on McDonald. You know, I don't know why, but I always felt comfortable. There. Yeah. Uh, but um, so when I went to the Boulevard that night, that's where I was on Whittier and McDonald, and the cruising. Actually, the cruising that night probably went literally from the, from the Garmar all the way to the east, you know, further yeah. to East L.A. Have you seen now, cruising I, before that, that packed? No, no, that was the first time I ever saw it that big. It, it, other times it would be big, but not that big. Because I remember my friend Kiki, uh, he lived in Montebello. He was from Eloyo, Maravilla, but, and he was part of the whole Zutsu thing, the family, the Sleepy Lagoon, yeah. the Leva's family. Mm-hmm. He was part of that. So, At 38th you know, Street? You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I grew up with him. Yeah. And so I went down the street, pick him up, and then came on Garfield, and it was packed, even at Garfield. And I remember looking, like, towards Kmart, you know, because you kind of can see came, the Kmart areas, even from there, mm-hmm. which is like about 14 blocks maybe. Right. And then about another four or five blocks, and you're mm-hmm. at Atlantic, That's right? That's the Commerce Center. Uh-huh. Yeah, so from... Garfield and Whittier, as far as the eye could see, was nothing but red and blue lights, you know, cops, you know? They were shutting it down. No, they weren't shutting it down. They were just patrolling it. And I didn't know at the time, but they're called the SEB, Special Enforcement Bureau. Anyway, so I went, so we avoided the boulevard there and went down Hubbard. Okay. And then made it all the way to McDonald, crossed, okay. parked. And then I went kind of just to check out things, you know, and yeah. I went down. You have your and, uh, camera. Again, all I could see is red and blue lights all the way the other way, like yeah. Garfield. And then I, uh, when I came back, uh, there was this guy in the middle of the street wearing a sarape. And everybody says, hey, take his picture. And he was talking about God, you know? Okay. And I'm looking at him like, who the hell is this guy talking yeah. about God yeah. in the middle of the street at 10 p.m., you know? Yeah. Or 
in a sarape, 10 p.m., talking about yeah, yeah, yelling yeah. about God. Uh, go ahead. Right, right. So I was like, I'm not going to take this picture. So I went into the liquor store, got a Coke. When I came out, he actually looked like Moses, like he was parting the Red Sea. Wow. You know, but instead he was parting the cruise. He's parting the cruise. They were parting the cruise. So he was right in the middle of the street. Yeah, and I said, like, you know what? That does look like a good photo. Yeah. So I went and started taking photos. And next thing you know, of all the cops that were there, yeah. next thing you know, about four of them came. And they started chasing him. Okay. The only thing the only thing that was weird that night is that instead of turning around and running, he didn't turn around. He just ran backwards. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. And he went the length of about three stores, you know? Okay. Uh-huh. And then at that point, they caught him. Okay. And they just started beating him like mercilessly. Yeah. You know, just yeah. I mean, vicious. Yeah. Um, at that point, you know, I've not seen all the cop, all the cars, you know, mm-hmm. the cop cars. Yeah. I'm saying nothing, nothing good is going to come out of this, you know? Yeah. And yeah. in my mind, I'm thinking I take photographs, I'm going to die, you know? Okay. So and you so knew, I, you knew it was bad oh, for yeah. you. Yeah. It was oh, bad. I mean, I could see how, I could see how vicious they were with him. Yeah. Got so you. I imagine in my mind, because I'm thinking if I take a photograph, that means that you're I part of it. These guys. Yeah, I could convict these guys and, and go to prison. So obviously, I said, "Well, I don't think they'll permit that." So I just said, "Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm getting out of here." Now I grew up down the street. Remember, I've mentioned I grew up on Whittier, so a lot of people knew who I was because of that. But even more people knew me because I was with the magazine, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I'm leaving, everybody's looking at me like, "I go, hey, isn't that your job?" Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, uh, "Yeah, it's my job." I go, "But I'm not crazy. I'm not gonna get killed." Yeah. And so I went to the car. The, the, remember, I was parked down yeah. over here at McDonald's. So when I, by the time I got to the car, like it seemed like everything froze and you could not hear anything anymore. And as I'm ready to open my door, the only thing you could, because he was scream, screaming about God up until that point. And at that point, as I'm op- trying to open up the door, all I could hear is thuds of, of the sticks hitting his body, you know? From there, it was, must have been like about 30, 40 yards away, and you could hear the thud, you know, of the of his body being hit with the right stick, and it turned my stomach, and I said, I, I can't leave, you know, so I, I went back, I went back, and uh, I started taking photographs. I think I took about four or five photographs. So, you know, I'm not positive, but I, about four or five, and the very last photograph was one of the cops pointing at me, and then they came after me. And this is East LA Sheriff Department. Yep. The Special Enforcement Bureau, SCB. And I didn't even know that until they did the arrest report. So, yeah, so I started walking away like everybody else. I didn't want to run because I figured if you run, that's who they chase. So I just walked, but then one guy got right behind me. And I couldn't even see him. That's how close he was, you know? So I turned around. and No, anyway, so when I turned around, I saw the billy club, you know, yeah. coming at me. Wow. And uh, and then I so I thought I threw the camera to somebody who I had met earlier. Yeah. So he could take off with the camera. With the and pictures. Yeah. Good. And, and he did. He but he ran into the liquor store, and then all the other cops chased him and followed him, and got the camera from him. Yeah. Uh, eventually, they brought the camera inside the car and they opened it up in front of me and yanked out the film. <laughs> it was old school film, and the like. Yeah. I don't think they have that kind of film anymore. Right. But they yanked it yanked out, out and out said, the- "Oh." They said, so you had the lens cap on all the time, didn't you? Wow. But, you know, but I skipped the big part because that was after I was already handcuffed. Okay. Before I was handcuffed, you know, when they attacked me, it was about four, I think four of them. I thought it was about five, but four of them signed the arrest report. So of the, when when they, uh, 
attacked me, I, I must have got hit 40 to 50 times. The main one, I remember seeing the riots that coming straight at my forehead. Oh. And obviously it hit. Wow. And I went unconscious. But see, I didn't know I was unconscious. Yeah. Uh, all I know is that I came to later and I could hear it. it sounded like a mouse. I mean, it was a little squeak. But it was one of the sheriffs screaming, you know. But I could barely hear them. So apparently I had lost my hearing. And uh, so when when uh, he was screaming, he was asking me to put give him give him my arm because yeah. I landed. I that's why I know I was unconscious because yeah. I don't remember laying down with my you know like like this you know. Okay. But I, I was on top of myself. Yeah. I'm on my arms. Yeah. So I couldn't move, and I was frozen. Yeah. And I and my I don't I don't remember for sure, but I thought he had a gun on me, but I don't remember right now. I just know that he was threatening. And he was screaming, and I just thought, I go, oh, this guy's going to shoot me because he thinks I'm ignoring the dude, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I rocked my body, and then I, I, was ma I managed to give him my arm. And yeah. then I could hear that squeaky sound again, and I thought, oh, he wants the other arm, you know? Wow. And so wow. I did that. And then they left me there for about 10 minutes bleeding, you know, just, I was just bleeding and bleeding. Bleeding out of your head. And yeah, and then they finally put me in the car and left me there for another ten minutes. I remember a young a, a carload of young girls went by, and I wanted to tell them to call, and I wasn't sure who to call. Yeah, you know, you know I was thinking in my mind, I, I got to tell them to call the cops. Yeah. and I was like, wait a minute, these are the cops. cops. Wow, that was weird. And uh, wow. but I was able to like just whisper to them. I said, "Call Lowrider." You know, that's what I was trying to tell them. Wow. To do. But as I but as I did that, I didn't realize how I looked. I turned around to them. And they screamed, you know, they looked at me like they had seen a monster. And then I said, I better, I, I wanted to see how I look. Cause you know how they have a, the rear view mirror. Yeah. So, so I, I managed to look at myself and oh my God, <laughs> you have no idea. My head was twice as big as it is. Yeah. And I was bleeding from everywhere. You know, my mouth, my nose, my eyes, my forehead. Yeah. The forehead was the main thing. So my, it was gushing out, you know? Wow. So just, so, cause this could go on forever. So I'll just cut it to this. I ended up facing four, eight criminal charges that I tried to kill the cops, you know? That's course, what they charged you with? Yeah, assault with a deadly weapon and assault and battery on, on four What was the officers. deadly weapon? The camera, you know? So it took nine months. Everybody said, oh, they're going to drop it, but they didn't drop it for nine months, you know? And finally, they did. And that took a lot. It took a White House thing, and, and a, my attorney testified before the Board of Supervisors. Uh, so a lot of stuff happened. But the point is, nine months later, they they, they actually did drop the charges, and then I filed a lawsuit. Wow! It took seven it took seven and a half years, and we ended up winning both trials. Same Why was it two of them, Doctor St. Lee? Why the, the lawsuit? I sued them. One was and for I, the state, and one was for the sheriff department, or what was? No, no, just uh, just the sheriffs. You know? Okay. Okay. Uh, no, the, no, there's the criminal charges against me. That was the that, that was the first trial. Okay. And then I I won that, and then. The second trial was that I sued them. Yeah. Uh, the, the four of them. Yeah. And, you know, I could tell you tons of stories, but if anything, maybe I should tell you the one about Cheech. Uh, so during the trial, yeah, uh, my attorney, I mean, it was packed, jam-packed, cops and us, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and everybody was, like, super nervous because they looked, you know, like they're pretty radical, in the, the sheriff, because they could, they could use weapons in there, but not the people, right? Yeah. So... The, the, so what happens is that the uh, it was super tense, and then my attorney at the very end, we were choosing jury, 
And you know what's weird? Because like someone like you or someone like me, that is, I mean, we're unmistakably brown, right? So in the in the jury pool, there was nobody looked like us. Nobody, zero. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thought, what a surprise. Thought, surprise, thought, surprise. <laughs> right. But I thought, well, maybe there's a Güero Chicano, you know, like maybe mm-hmm. light skin, you know, mm-hmm. maybe. But yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Zero, zero. zero. <laughs> Not so even a light skin Chicano. Yeah. Yeah, when my attorney saw them, he says we lost, wow. and I said, "No, no, we haven't lost that." Shit, yeah. But I'll I, I'll stop there about that. But so, but because I want to talk about Cheech. So then, when uh, when we had he had interviewed all the last jurors, he says, "Okay, we got one last jury to pick, jury person." Yeah. He says, "Yeah, but he goes, you have any questions for the last person?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, I do." And he says, "What?" I go, "Ask them if they seen Cheech's video, Born in East L.A." Mm-hmm. And my attorney looks at me like, what? <laughs> I said, I said, look, Antonio. And then again, everybody was trembling because mm-hmm. the cops, all they talked about was murder and yeah. shootings and rape and rifles and guns. And, you know, everybody, you know. So I said, they, that's what they think. They think East L.A. is that. Mm-hmm. And I said, we know East L.A. is not like that. East L.A. is that Cheech's video. That's us, you know. Mm-hmm. And he wow. says, you're right. Okay, let's do it. So it's like the old Columbo series, you know, where he's ready to sit down and go, oh. Another thing. Yeah. Oh, one more thing. And that's when he yeah, cracks the so, case, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then he says, he tells the last jurist, he says, have you seen Chicha's video, Born in East L.A.? And I'm not making this up. Everyone, including the judge uh-huh. and all the cops and the lawyers, all of them start laughing. Everyone. Yeah. You know, our side too? Yeah. And it, it did exactly what I thought it would do. Like yeah. the tension went down. You know, wow. Like every call. And then he gave, I think he gave the speech of his life. Huh. You know, because he said exactly that, that idea. Like, I go, yeah, everybody thinks we're gangsters. They think that all we do is go around killing and shooting and mobbing and on and on. Yeah. I said, but if you saw that video, that's who we are. Nice. I go, we come from a community of hard workers. Nice. And if you remember the video, that it was about cruising too, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's got so a, he, the whole video, the whole movie is uh, uh, low writing is a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was the point, you know. So in the end, I'm not going to say that's what made us win, but... Uh, we did win, Good. and and I met Cheech after that. You know, I met him mm-hmm. at a park, uh-huh. and I told him that the 20th Century Fox wanted to make a movie about my trial and all that. Yeah, and he says like, and he goes, but we need your permission because we used your video at the trial. <laughs> and he yeah. says, uh, he says, no, you got my permission, all right, nice. but only under one condition. Yeah. And I go, what's that? Because I want to play you. Oh wow! <laughs> and I, and I, I started, I started laughing because that. Uh, I was like 24 when it happened, and I looked like 18. You know? Wow. And I started laughing. I said, hey, you're too old, dude. I go, you should play the attorney. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sidlet, anyway, there's, yeah. there's a famous picture of you um, after the beating. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm going to put it up for the listeners to kind of get um, – Uh kind of get a like a picture of of your story that you just shared uh but it's very it's very heart-wrenching you know to see that and um and i know that you mentioned ruben salazar and other um other people that that lost their lives because of police brutality um and i really i really tie it into what you you all were doing at that time and i think that that raza report that la gente uh the raza you know um magazines and scenes lowrider times all that was really was it went hand in hand with the lowrider community and and i'm always a bit advocate of bringing that back 
to today because we're dealing with a lot of racism. We're dealing with a lot of stereotyping. We're dealing with a lot of uh, profiling, uh, police brutalities. Um, you know, you see, you hear about these sheriff gangs, you know, more and yep. more. So uh, I guess my question to you is, if you're looking at low riding today, um, is there still a place for this, for activists? Is there still a place for education, for brown, for people of color to, yeah. to speak out against, against issues? Or, or has that time passed? Well, you know, if you would have asked in 2015, maybe I would have given you a different answer. But, you know, for the first time in a generation or several generations, we had somebody that became president that literally hated seeming seemed to be everybody you know he hated women you know remember he bragged about grabbing women in the pussy you know stuff like that yeah uh he hated immigrants he hated mexicanos he hated mm-hmm. blacks etc yeah. etc murders and rapists and so, yeah and of course yeah that's, that's how he thought of us and uh and some people will say oh well that's not us he was talking about immigrants and i go no you know Remember, remember in El Paso when that guy shot and killed 23 yeah, people? Yeah, White supremacists? Yeah. That dude, he killed both Mexicanos and Mexican-Americans, you know? Mm-hmm. So in other words, people, you might think of yourself as like, oh, well, I'm not really from Mexico, you know? Right. Like, hey, who cares? The white supremacists think we're the same, yeah. you know? So it yeah. doesn't matter. We are the same, you know? And, and that's that was the point. He went out there to kill Mexicanos, and he did yeah. from both sides. So to me, you know, it brought on a whole different era. And that was precisely, you know, he said that he was motivated by that. He went literally to El Paso because he was from the Dallas forward area, I think, mm. somewhere out there. Yeah, yeah, he, drove, he was. He yeah, and he drove to El Paso. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, that that is what we saw. And so, you know, it's like maybe, like you said, maybe for some people that's the past. But no, all of a sudden it became part of the present again. Yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, it's just a, it's an ugly topic. But it's real, you know, and and the concept of uh, human rights, it doesn't ever go away. You know, if we ever lived in a totally, you know, uh, what's the word, an equal society, you know, where everyone is free, there's democracy and all that equality. If, you ever yeah. got, if we ever got there, that equality, then we wouldn't need that. But we're not there. And that's why you have look, look at who they, they pick on Arabs and Muslims also. Mm-hmm. They pick on LGBT communities. They mm-hmm. pick on, I mean, like I said, almost everybody, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, uh, Jews get picked on. Yeah. You know, everybody gets picked on. And and it's it's almost like people celebrate that. You know, they want that division instead of uh, Martin Luther King or, you know, uh, whomever, the Pope or something, you know, who pe- people that try to bring people together. Right. We don't have that right now. Right now, the country is very divided. So I would say that, you know, the lowrider community. You know, when we were out there in the late 70s and early 80s, they shut down all the boulevards across the country. And when people got their rights to cruise again, it was because the car clubs, the, the community fought Organized. for the right to. Yeah, because, you know, again, it's like, I don't know what the prices are now, you know, but like say at that time, it's like paying 30 bucks to go to Disneyland. You know, what? who could afford 30 bucks per person, you know? Like now, I think you have to pay like 120 mm-hmm. you know, for a, 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 a ticket person. for one day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But in those days, it was the same idea, you know? Like, so instead, it'd be six people in a car, you know, that they, they might have to split $2 a piece for gas. Yeah. And uh, 
and you got your six back. But that was it, though, right? That was that was our answer to to the big, you know, the big party, the big socializing, the Disneyland, like you said, you know, that was, and and I'm I'm just talking about like, based on your experiences, based on what my parents said it was like, you know, it was a big get together, a big party, a good time. And yeah, I mean, things happened, there was chingazos, you know, but, but that, that was it. And and I always kind of refer back to that to say, you know what, low riding car is, uh, is artwork on the street. And it's shared with the community, you know, it's by the community for the community. And and you hear about these people building cars and the first thing they want to do is hit the boulevard. You know, they're not talking about I can't wait to win this trophy. The first thing they say is like, I can't wait to show it off to my community. Um, What would you say to young people though now, Dr. St. Lee, about like being involved, like the way you guys were in those days and being active and being, you know, part of your community? What would you say to them now? Well, you have to remember that, like I said, when when Salazar was killed, I was 16, you know? That's why I say that's usually about the time people either start partying or maybe start preparing for go to college. And I decided to go to college, you know? So for me, I don't think it was an option, at least for me, you know? Now I have to say this and remind me of your question because I'm remembering that I listened to your podcast, the one before, and and I heard literally my neighbors, people I went to school with in middle school, junior high school, elementary school, junior high school, high school, you know, uh, they were all part of that new life, uh, uh, Imperials uh, mm-hmm. lifestyle. Group, group, yeah. Uh, yeah, group, of course. And I'm talking about not not like people that I met through the magazine, but people I grew up with. You know, all of a sudden I realized, hey, they were, they were the founders of new life. They were the founders of lifestyle. Uh, and then, of course, I, I mentioned uh, uh, Orpheus already. Yeah. So that's what we grew up with. You know, we grew up with that culture there, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that, and I think you see it in families, you know, mm-hmm. like and you know, like I said, for me, my path was, I'm gonna do something about that. This guy got killed; he shouldn't have got killed, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to write. You know, when I went to college, I said, I want to be a writer, just like that guy. Yeah, and I think, and I think again, I don't think of it as a choice. It was just something I felt a responsibility. So today, this is like 50 years later. You know, that was. 70 you know so yeah. 51 years later yeah to me i look at it like i think history has shown that like um man if, if cruising could take us to where we need to go then that's the route for everybody but it isn't the route for everybody and now you know as as a writer uh somebody who worked at lowrider i remember one of the first articles i wrote was about cruising to cruising to college you know Nice. So I knew all these people that had gone That's you right. know, to San Jose State University or to USC or UCLA, wherever, you know, because they weren't the majority, but they, but they, they were out there. And I, I know you mentioned somebody yesterday that's a doctor now, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Steve Mott. Uh-huh. Steve as, as one example, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So there were, there were others. And so for me, it was like, and that's why I had even joined the magazine in the first place, because I thought, you know, we need a little bit of that as part of our community because cruising i mean everybody's envious of us you know everybody wants to come to the boulevard but at the same time we all i mean to us we had a responsibility to fight for our peoples that why i don't know but we were under attack yeah and it was like the only way you you know you progress in society uh is by dedicating yourself you know for some people it's to be the best mechanic right like for cruising, you know. Yeah. Uh, for for others, it's like to be the best artist, you know. 
Yeah. And so for a lot of us, we wanted to become teachers. We wanted to become educators. And so the only way to do that is you got to go to college. So, yeah. so for me, that was kind of the idea, like mixing the two, you know, like yeah. showing and people that it's cool to cruise, but it's also cool to uh, to graduate. <laughs> Yeah, to go to those, <laughs> the, 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 yeah. yeah, graduate from high school, yeah, and then go to college. And go to college, yeah, yeah. No, and I think the community, people, yeah. I think the community always looks out for people like that too. Like you know, like they always say, like, "Hey, man, you know what? You're smart, or you're, or you. We see that you're, you're into books or writing or teaching." And I've always seen it growing up too. Like, hey, don't even come out here. Don't even party. Don't. Or you know what? You're doing good. Keep it. Keep it up. You yeah. know, I kind of see. I've seen it so for so long that the community comes together to just be like, take care of this guy because he's going to be something. He's going to be something within yeah. within the system almost. You know, the the irony is that's how people treated me, especially after I was almost killed by the cops. I, you know, you know, the, I kind of mentioned two types of people, like activists and then cruising. It was the cruising scene that protected me. You know, I would have expected that from the activists. You know, like you know, do rallies or something, whatever. You know, I remember one time I went to Amnesty International. I told them, I go, hey, I need some help. And they're like, what? I said, well, I, I'm on trial right now. They're trying to put me away, like, for, like, 20 years or more, saying that I tried to kill eight cops or four cops, you know, eight, eight charges. And they're like, oh, no, we can't help you. And I was like, what do you mean? I know I know what you all do. I said, yeah, no, we do that, but we can't help you unless you get, unless you go to prison first. Wow. And I told him, I said, I don't want to go to prison. Yeah. I go, can't you help? And so, no. So what ended up happening, because I was always out on the streets, you know, a lot of the homies, you know, they'd be like, cops would show up and they'd go, hey, hide this guy. You yeah, know? right. And so, and then they would, they would, I don't mean confront, but they would right. step forward. They would be so your like defense wall yeah, so almost, I, I yeah. Would, and that happened, that would happen all the time because the cops were always out there everywhere. Yeah. Like you said, so when, in your even in your trial, you said, our people were there, you know, our people stood up, you know, they, oh, yeah. they represented, you know, even in the courtroom where there was a bunch of cops, bunch of, you know, lawyers and, and you know what I mean? Like, um, these type of like, uh, uh, justice, you know, system people, right. Or this kind of, uh, white supremacist justice system people, our people still stood up there to defend. Oh, you. That, that, that's the, that was the story, you know, because I had quite a few witnesses and, after all those years, some of them disappeared. I know some of them got killed, actually. I remember that. But, I, you know, in the middle of the trial, one of my witnesses testified. And then that night, because it was like a Friday, and we, we went to a play. And as right as I was leaving to go to the play, you know, my girlfriend was already out the door, and I got a phone call. And so I, I remember telling her, no, no, hold on, hold on. And uh, uh, the... Uh, it was my witness, the one that testified. Yeah. And she says, hey, you're not going to believe this, but I was, I'm was, i down, I'm at my friend's house. And she says, she's, she was there. She saw the whole thing. Shit, wow. I'm going to skip a lot of details. Yeah. The point is, Monday, she testified. Wow. I remember we didn't know about her for seven years. And yeah. out of the blue, a secret she witness. She said she up. saw it. Oh, she yeah, was there. everything. And, and you know what? She was the only one, because everybody else described like what happened right before or right after but nobody could say yeah i saw the cop you know hit him right in the, in the forehead wow none but but she did you know but she and, did and she came right in the middle of the trial well i mean it oh. happened it happened right there right by the arches right on Whittier boulevard oh, there yeah. was tons of cruising already so a lot of people witnessed it right but uh 
I'm sure they were intimidated or they were just like, well, we we will never get our day or nobody listens to Chicanos, right? Except that, yeah, you're and you're right. They, my witnesses stepped forward, you know? And at the time, there was no arch there, you know? Not yet. You wow. <laughs> there was that even... So, I, I used to always tell people, oh, they put that arch there for me. Because <laughs> I won. <laughs> Shit, man. The, the irony was literally a few feet away, you know? Wow, well, good thing it wasn't... Good thing it wasn't a memorial piece for you. I'm glad that you made it and you tell your story. And I want to congratulate you, too, on your uh, recent retirement from teaching. And was it mostly just Chicano studies, Dr. Sintley? Well, it was a combination of communications, you know, because I I was a writer, right? I'm still a writer. By the way, uh, I actually have a book coming out next week, you know. It's called Writing 50 Years Amongst the Gringos. Writing uh, 50 Years Amongst the Gringos. Nice. I actually emailed it to you just a second. Okay. Ago. All right. All right. But, Next week. Yeah, no, coming out. Um, I was going to say is that, uh, no, you know what, what was really difficult is that, you know, um, people that go to war, they come back with injuries, you know, and there's two of them that most people associate with war. And that's one is called traumatic brain injury, you know, and that's what I had, you know, because they fractured my skull. And then there was, uh, uh, PTSD. Yeah. You know, you know, I got arrested about 60 times afterwards, you know? Yeah. It's like, they wouldn't, they would not leave me alone. Wow. So, Harassment. So what happened? Yeah. And, and what happened is that you said it right now. I'm probably one of the few people ever in the history of this country to ever win a trial and live. Because whenever you hear of a case that's being won, it's usually a family that wins, you know? Yeah. Like the mother of, right. or the, the yeah. wife of. Or, that's right. You know, in my case, I, I actually won and I can speak. Wow. The reason I say that is because I met so many people through the years where, like, they were traumatized for life, you know, or they want nothing to do with speaking up, you know. Yeah. I remember meeting somebody. She told me he hasn't come down in seven years, you know, like wow. that he was he would just stay upstairs. Just, in his room. Yeah. Wow. And, and then this is how it traumatized people, too. One time I was in Montebello. There was a bookstore there one time. And they had me sign book. I had a book that came out, and I signed books. And this lady was super frantic, telling me about um, about what had happened to her husband. And I'm serious; she was so frantic. I thought it had happened like the day before, you know, like yeah, that, or maybe that week. Mm-hmm. And when I asked her, I said, "You know, forget this book signing. I'm a journalist. I can I can write about this." Yeah. And I said, "It's okay. So tell me the details. Like, what, what when did this happen?" And she froze. And then she asked her daughter. She goes. When did they kill your puppy? And she says, oh, that was like 22 years ago. Yeah. And I'm serious. I thought it had happened that yeah. week. Yeah. In other words, that's that's what's happened in our communities. And that's why, like what you said, I mean, people were real proud of me in those days. Yeah. You know, they were like, they were amazed. I, I was amazed about something else. Is that because, you know, when you have a brain injury, that's heavy stuff. So yeah. to be able to go back and get a master's and PhD... That's pretty difficult, you know. That's right. Yeah. But I, I, I was real proud that I was able to do that. That's right. And then become become that professor. And and so what I did is I taught both communications and uh, Chicano studies, right uh, Mexican studies. My my main priority was that book that you mentioned. Yeah. Our sacred maíz is our mother. I teach yeah. how the whole continent is united by that seven thousand year old maíz. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for tying together our indigenous identity from this continent, you know, and how that, how that Mais has brought us together as Indian people, as indigenous people. So I appreciate that 
Before I let you go, Dr. Sinley, I want you to tell your famous story about, um, uh, just because I love it so much, cruise uh, out on Whittier Boulevard and uh, the um, you said that there was a carload of, of uh, women in oh, one car and yeah. uh, and they jumped out for some reason. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Oh, and I got hundreds of stories, but this, this, this uh, <laughs> specific one is, uh, yeah, there was a, a fight that started right there, right in front of the liquor store, right there on Whittier and McDonald. And so this carload of girls started throwing bottles at the car in front of them. And it was all guys, you know. And right away, I knew what it was. It was the boyfriend-girlfriend thing, you know, like a spat or exes, you know. And then there was these uh, gangsters that were right there on the corner, too. Yeah. And they ran out, took out their knives, and went to protect the women, even yeah. though it was the women that were throwing the bottles, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, and then I remember I went up to one of them. I said, I go, hey, because they, apparently they didn't see what was going on. And I said, hey, I said, no, I said, no, this is not right what you're doing, you know? You were telling and the then, dudes, the dudes that. Yeah, no, he started telling me that. Oh, okay. No, I started telling, no, I started telling that one of one of them, you know? Yeah. Or both of them. I said, hey, you guys are, that's not right what you're doing, you know? And then they, you know, they had their knives out and that one came up to me and he says, you backing them up or what? And I said, no, I'm not backing them up. It's just, I don't think you saw what's going on there. But I didn't talk too long. Because I had my camera in my right hand, yeah. you know, like held next to like my pocket, you know, down. And he looked at the camera and he says, "Go, why do you have a camera for?" And I said, Cause "I work for Lowrider Magazine." And the guy turned like into a puppy, you know, both of them, you know. <laughs> and they both they both put their knives away and take our picture, take our picture. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I told him, I said, I'll take your picture when the condition. I'll put your knives away. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, that's when they put it away. You don't stick and me, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. So when I did that, then they, uh, yeah, they were cool, you know. And the women and then, started uh, uh, posing and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they just, uh, you know, I, I actually I wanted to mention that real quick. Yeah. Because the issue of women in Lowrider magazine was an issue back then, but there was also another issue. And that is the, the, the Aztec imagery on the cars, you know, mm -hmm. because, you know, whether they knew it or not, it's irrelevant. The point is, it was there. That is, you saw a lot of cars, especially at car shows, you know, where the imagery of, of the, the murals on the cars was a lot of stuff, you know, yeah. Aztec or Maya, yeah. you know, things like that. And I think people don't really realize that, but there was a consciousness there that somehow that was us. That was our culture. Yeah. Now, you know, some of the, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the women, they kind of like, hey, you know, they just have a posing naked, you know, in front of their cars. So that was kind of a, a an issue. Mm. And I think things are better nowadays. But I think, you know, there was a, there was a lot of uh, women that they formed their own car clubs, you know? Yeah. Because they felt like they needed to be respected for their own cars. And you represented, know, right? Yeah. Instead of posing in front of a car, you know? Nice. Yeah. And so there was, there was a lot of that, but I, that, but I think what always is left out is that there's always that imagery, that indigenous imagery. Now, you know, because it's different. I mean, simply to put an Aztec, you know, a pyramid or something, there's, there's a difference between that and then knowing what it is to be indigenous, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the Tata Kwashli that you mentioned earlier, uh, that's what he was about, teaching the culture, teaching the language, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I don't think that was kind of, I mean, that's kind of what I tried to do in those yeah. days, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I, I didn't grow up knowing the language. I have family that knows Nahuatl mm -hmm. uh, out of Morelos. Yeah. 
but that but I didn't really grow up with that but I still had that consciousness because for the obvious reason I would look in the mirror yeah. so but I think really it was my dad you know you know because yeah. I, I remember when we I was probably five maybe six years old and I asked my father I said how come they call us wetbacks you know in Spanish and my father said, oh, don't even worry about it. I said, we didn't swim across the ocean to get here. That's you know? right. <laughs> so Who's a pilgrim? Five, five, five and a half. At five and a half, I, I knew that, you know? That's right. I never yeah. questioned. At six, seven, ten. I mean, I never questioned that again. That's I right. I always knew I was indigenous because of, of what my dad taught me. And you and, know. Uh, yeah, yeah, that. that No, Dr. Sintley, I think that I, I can. I, I identify a lot with that, you know, because I've seen. Even my parents' old pictures of low riding uh, and cruising, and I and I see all the men had that long hair, you know, had that long native hair, and were really proud of their identity, their culture, their indigenous, you know, um, traditions, and and that's how I grew up. It being that's how low riding was explained to me, you know. Yeah. And this time we were fighting for our rights, we were fighting for our issues. We had our, you know, we had our representation for either uh, Azteca, Mayan, Yaqui, you know, uh, Navajo, Apache, whatever it was. It, it, the cars represented that and they added that imagery on it. And I think that, you know, I, I'd love to see it go back. And I, I think it is coming back, though. I think that is coming back. And I think I see more more lowriders, more young people identifying, you know, with their indigenous culture and traditions. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of uh, Native people, you know, from the North, you know, American Indians, they were part of the whole both gang and car club scene. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. on the East Side, I think yeah. it was like more like Southeast, mm-hmm. you know, Southeast LA. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I remember a lot of them would go back to the reservation, and they were like, "Hey, make a choice, you know, either you're Native or you're a gangster." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, we need we need to talk know, we need to talk about that another time because uh, I I I've seen that too, and I know a lot of it was part of the relocation act, you know, and but that's another topic. Yeah, definitely, Doctor Seatley, thank you so much. Thanks for doing it. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for sharing your story, your history, and and your contributions to to everything that we are now, you know, what we're doing in lowriding. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, sounds good. Thanks. If I could ever do anything, please let me know. I'll probably end up writing something near in the near future. Tell us your, your book again one more time that's coming out this week or yeah, next week. Yeah, it's, it's called uh, uh, Writing 50 Years Amongst the Gringos. I, I might have a, a a shot here, but maybe not. Well, I don't know if you can, when you put it together, yeah. you'll have it. And maybe you could put that song and, and that other picture you mentioned, yeah, uh, you can in the background. Well, let's get you out here sometime soon to Whittier Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, talk to us the story about Little Willie G and putting that song together. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, oh, there's hundreds of stories. Yeah, you uh, you might need to write it down, man. You might need to document all those stories, you know, because yeah. there's a lot, a lot of people that love to hear it to hear those stories and there's a lot of people that never got a chance to hear those stories you know they would love to hear around the world i'm not even just talking about california uh, i think that would be awesome because i've written everything but i don't think i ever did a lot you know in my new book one of the articles Pachuco Yoese, that that is in the new book and i think there's two other articles from lowrider okay. in that new book so anyway yeah i'll, I'll be around all right um, I live in Mexico, but I get invited, so... Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, well, whenever right. you're in town, let me know, Dr. Sintley. I'll, I'll take you cruising. All right, Doc. All right, thank All right, you, Doc. Dr. Sintley. Sounds good, thanks. Goodbye.